Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Dr. Gay Hendricks has reached the pinnacles of book promotion on opera, no less, talking about one of his 35 personal growth bestsellers, Conscious Loving. So why was he bothered about writing a mystery series starring a Tibetan monk-turned-PI called Denzing. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and today Gay explains why most of us live dissatisfied lives, what he enjoys most about writing fiction, and how the radical adventures he had in Tibet as a younger man influence his work today. But before we talk to Gay, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Gay's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Gay. Hello there, Gay, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's really a treat to be here with you, Jenny. Okay, look, beginning at the beginning... Why write a detective series? You've had such a very successful career as a psychologist, a writer, a university teacher in the field of personal growth. You've authored 35 best-selling personal growth titles, and that's probably 35 plus now. And you founded the Opera, the Hendrix Institute. And if that isn't enough, you've been on opera, for goodness sakes. That's the peak <laughs> achievement of our time, isn't it? So... Why wasn't all that achievement enough? Why write fiction as well? Was there a once upon a time catalyst that sparked the five Tenzing Norbu books? Yes, well, I think it really started about, oh, 50 or 60 years ago when I first fell in love with Sherlock Holmes, the the mysteries of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I read so many of them in the eighth and the ninth grade. I remember my ninth grade English teacher started calling me Sherlock because I would always walk into class with a copy of Sherlock Holmes under my arm. And uh, anyway, I was just totally uh, in love with that kind of a mystery. And I I think I start, maybe I started thinking even back then that I'd like to write a mystery of my own someday. And then um, I, I've been a big mystery fan all my life. I've uh, probably, I don't know how many hundreds of mysteries and thrillers and that kind of thing I've read, but must be hundreds of them by now. But um, I always look forward to good mystery novels. So uh, one night, actually, what happened was in the middle of the night, I woke up one time about uh, seven years ago now, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was just lying there trying to think of what I might do to get back to sleep. And I thought about reading the mystery novel that was over by the side of my bed, but I didn't want to turn on the light because I didn't want to disturb my wife. And so I decided to make up a mystery novel of my own in my head, just as a way to entertain myself. And I started doing it, and it became so fascinating to me that I just had to start writing it down. So that was actually, uh, my uh, mystery novel career kind of came out of uh, a night of insomnia one time and and wanting to try to get 
get something done in the middle of the night. It's terrific. It's amazing how many mystery writers I talk to who have been inspired by reading Sherlock Holmes as a young person. I'm thinking Steve Hawkinsmith, who was one of the first writers that I interviewed, he was in exactly the same, and, and he's written a number of books setting Sherlock Holmes in, in, the, in the West. So, But Tenzing Norbu has been described by one reader, I think it was on Goodreads, as launching a new mystery subgenre, the mindful P.I., I can't think of any other mindful PIs, although maybe maybe um, Robert Cray's uh, uh, one is is a bit similar. But did you have any models in mind for him when you started? Uh, no, actually, Jenny, I decided I wanted to create something brand new, if possible, which was a whole whole new type of private investigator. I read Robert Cray all the time. In fact, I just finished a Robert Cray novel just about a week ago, and uh, I love his stuff. But it's really a different kind of a, a genre. His, he's um, his hero is uh, often, you know, kind of a wisecracking kind of guy, and my hero is, um, you know, he has a good sense of humor. But I really want him to be mindful in the sense of he thinks about deeper things in life and he meditates and. Um, you know, I, I just want him to be a, a modern mystic in the real world. Yeah, that's a lovely phrase, a modern mystic in the real world. That's fantastic. So for those who aren't familiar with Tenzing, or Ten has, as he's called in the series, he's a Tibetan-American, American mother, Tibetan father. He's had eight years in the LAPD. He goes out on his own as a private investigator. He stands astride two cultures and two thought systems. And we get a lot of internal reflections on this. And I must say, you've found the balance beautifully for those so that it never gets preachy or boring. But was it hard to get inside his head? Not really, because I've been a daily meditator now for almost 45 years myself. I haven't missed a day of meditation since 1973, and so I'm a, an experienced meditator. And so it's it's very easy for me to be inside the mind of a person who meditates a lot. And I've also spent time in Tibetan monasteries and Zen monasteries, and in pursuit of my own wisdom over the years. And so it, um, you know, I've always had kind of a monkish aspect to me. I think I felt very comfortable in monasteries in Tibet and other places in the world. And I think that um, that allowed me to kind of have an understanding of how Tenzing might see the world. Yeah. And I must say the setting, when he talks about Tibet, it does feel as if you have experienced that and been there. So that rings very authentic in the book. Well, I, I was fortunate enough back in 1986 to get one of the first uh, mountain bike visas to ride a bicycle across Tibet. And so I rode my bicycle across a lot of the Tibetan plateau in the summer of 1986. Uh, there was a little window of time there when the Chinese opened up Tibet for independent travel. And so we were able to, 12 of us were able to ride our bikes and visit all the old monasteries that were off the beaten path and that kind of thing. So it was really an amazing trip and gave me a whole different feeling for what uh, Tibet is all about. What an amazing experience. That must have been absolutely fantastic. And it's amazing how it's translated into this series all these years later. Tell me, in that balance between entertainment and education, 
Did you find it difficult to strike that balance? Well, I think it's always difficult. That's kind of a tightrope walk that a uh, that a novelist is always on is how to how to work that balance. And I, frankly, that's one of the most exciting things about writing for me is how to stay true to the voice that I've created. One of the best things that ever happens in my writing life is when I'm working on a new book and suddenly I get the voice just the way I want it in my head. And once I, I get it, get the voice of it just right and how to tell the story, the attitude to take toward it, the uh, you know whether it's going to be playful or serious. I also write uh, about a um, a new hero that I've created, Sir Errol Hyde, who's a dandy in England in 1908, uh, an aristocratic uh, kind of a fop, uh, but uh, with a big heart. And so they're de- they're designed to be funny. And Tenzing isn't necessarily designed to be funny, although he does have a good sense of humor from time to time. But one of the things I wanted to put into his life was that he struggles with relationships because as you mentioned in my in my real life so to speak my wife and I are relationship experts and have written a number of books like conscious loving the one you mentioned that we were first on Oprah with many years ago and so uh, we love to work with relationship dynamics so I wanted to create Tenzing as a person like many of us who doesn't have all the answers you know he's he's maybe adept in meditation but not necessarily in intimacy with another person and so a lot of the what goes on in the books too in the background are his coming to terms with different relationship issues that he has sure and we won't give anything away about how that develops because it's got quite a nice ending um the series is co-authored with Tinker Lindsay, who's an experienced scriptwriter. How did you set up that co-authoring arrangement? Well, that was by pure magic. Um, first of all, I should tell you that Tinker is one of the most wonderful human beings that I've ever met in my entire life. And I consider her coming into my life as one of the great gifts that I've ever been given. She's become a very dear friend of my wife and myself, and uh, she and her husband and I go to the opera together and do things like that down in Los Angeles. So uh, we only live an hour and a half away from them. So we're able to get together with them from time to time. Um, but uh, what happened was um, I wrote the first book, The First Rule of Ten, and I had about a 200 or 250-page manuscript. And I knew that I wanted somebody else to take a look at it. I didn't think at the time of having a co-author. I just uh, I thought I would send it to somebody and they would take a good look at it and make some suggestions. And I actually had um, uh, another person in mind because I didn't know Tinker at the time, but I happened to be on the phone with a friend of mine one day, um, Arjuna Arda, and he was he and I were talking about some other projects. And I said, by the way, do you happen to know any really good editors that have a real sense of understanding about meditation and East and that kind of thing. And he said, right off the top of his head, he said, Tinker Lindsay, call Tinker Lindsay. And uh, so interestingly enough, unbeknownst to me, Tinker Lindsay and I learned to meditate about the same time in the early 70s. And she went on to be a meditation teacher for many years before she got into screenwriting. And so, lo and behold, I get on the phone later on in the day, and I 
I just called her up cold, you know. I had his, I had her number from uh, Arjuna, and so I called her, and uh, I said, "Hi, this is Gay Hendricks. I wanted to talk to you about a project." And she says, "Oh my God!" She said, "I'm just looking at a book of yours on my shelf here. Uh, is this the real Gay Hendricks?" <laughs> and I, I said, "Yep, this is the real guy." It turned out she had read my book, Conscious Loving, you know, back 25 years ago when it came out, and uh, also had my other book, The Big Leap, on her shelf. And so that just was really a, a great little piece of magic. And then let me tell you what happened. I sent her the manuscript. And she came back and she rewrote the first chapter just to show me what she might do. And she just did this for free, you know, just as an example of what she wanted to do if she took on the project. And I read the first chapter, her rewrite of it, and I burst into tears. It was so good and so much better. I mean, it started out as a nice little, you know, 25-page chapter, but she had turned it into this 35-page much more sensory, rich. Um, you see, Tinker, one of the great things about Tinker is she loves details. And, you know, if you look at all the detail that's in the books, a lot of those are hers, where I kind of sketch out something. And, you know, I'll say he drove down the street in his car. And by the time she gets through with it, it'll be he drove down Wilshire Boulevard in his um, Toyota pickup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Uh, there, uh, I kind of uh, put these broad sketches out, and then she uh, put, puts in the detail, and I create the plots, and she uh, then uh, does a lot of the character work. She also loves research, so um, I'm um, I love to just sit in my office and write, but she will actually go out and spend all night riding around with a paparazzi or riding around with the cops and that kind of thing. And uh, so uh, I do a lot of my research on the phone and with Mr. Google, but she's out there on the front lines. Sure. So that does bring us to that. How do you divide it up the work? Because you do expand into Mexican drug cartels and book four goes to Bosnia Um there probably is fairly intense in-depth research. Some of it, obviously, are possible on Google, but um, how did you divide up that, that workload between you? What was your successful collaboration model? Well, I'm the first draft guy, usually. I, I write the first draft of the whole thing, and then I send it off to her. We don't send it off piece by piece, usually. Um, I'm um, What I do is I kind of hunker down and spend you know, several hours each day working on the book until I finish it. Say that takes me six months. And then I send it off to Tinker and she takes a month or two to do all of her magic on it. And then she will send it back to me and I fluff it up a little bit. And uh, that's how we go about it. Um, I know there are other authors that are, that, you know, like send pages back and forth either uh, each day and that kind of thing. So uh, we've just never done it that way. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I read somewhere that you had originally planned 10 books. I don't know if that was right from the get-go, but we haven't seen a new one for a couple of years. Is that still the plan? Are you still working on 10, or have you moved on to this new series that you've mentioned? Well, no, we haven't left uh, 10 behind. Um, what's happening right now is the reason we haven't started publishing number six and seven, I've already written number six and seven um, but um, I've got them in the can here, just waiting for the television show. Oh, okay. Because uh, Netflix has 
optioned the books to turn into a television show. And so um, if they get it on the air this year, then we'll probably start publishing books six and seven. But if they don't get it on the air till next year, we're going to wait, I think, and just have uh, these books be the ones that are out there before the TV show goes out. Sure. I didn't realize it was Netflix that was behind it. That, that pretty well guarantees that you're going to get a big audience, which is wonderful. I'm very excited about it because, uh, frankly, it's kind of one of the last things on my own bucket list as far as things I wanted to do in my life. And uh, one of them, of course, was to write mystery novels, which I've accomplished. One of them was also to turn one of these projects into a television show where, you know, 10 million people can watch it at a time rather than, uh, you know, the few hundred thousand that read uh, a mystery novel usually. Sure. And have you got Ten's role... um decided, have, has the, the actor been selected, cast for the role? Uh, no, I don't think all of that's in place yet. Um, there are, um, the, the public announcement that went out a month or two ago on Hollywood Reporter and the other uh, trade magazines, um, you can look that up and it'll give you all the details, but uh, just um, Daniel Day Kim from, I don't know if you know him from um, Hawaii Five O or... Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or lost. Yes, uh, he's involved with the project, and whether he will actually star in it or just be an executive producer role, um, we're um, it hasn't been decided yet. Sure, sure. Do you have that's outside? Uh, that's outside my range. By the way, I I made it clear with him from the beginning that um, I wanted to just write the books, and I would be available for a phone call now and then. But I didn't want to spend any time on a movie set or anything. I've I've spent plenty of time on movie sets, and they basically drive me nuts. <laughs> when I walk when all when I walk on a movie set, all I see is money being wasted and time being wasted. And uh, but um, uh, some people love it. But um, I've I've decided to uh, not be involved at that level with this project. Sure. Look, moving to a slightly more general focus, you've had this wonderful career as a a psychologist and personal development um, wisdom leader, really. So I wonder, it's a big question. You've got um, your own institute and you do a lot of training and video offerings and things. Just a big question. Is there one thing that you would name as the biggest cause of dissatisfaction and unhappiness in the Western world? Or is that the wrong question to even be asking? Well, I think that if you really look deeply into ourselves, what you find out down at the bottom of a lot of our difficulties with ourselves is that we are not we are not loving and accepting toward ourselves. That we think of ourselves largely oftentimes as a failed improvement project. And so... What a lot of my work in my nonfiction books like Conscious Loving and Learning to Love Yourself and The Big Leap, what those are all about is helping people come to a loving embrace of themselves as they are rather than living in constant criticism of who they are. And what I've found is that as people open up and embrace themselves the wholeness of themselves as they are, suddenly they are able to tap into a deeper level of creativity in themselves. And if you look around the world, I've, I've been fortunate enough, I've been around the world 35 times or something like that now, and wherever I go in the world over the past 
Well, since my book started coming out in 1975, and I've gone around the world giving lectures and things like that, one of the main things I see that's the cause of so much pain is people being out of touch with their own inner creative potential. That there's so many um, there's so many ways that we can get distracted and kind of detach ourselves from our deep creative potential. But I think all of us as human beings, in order to feel really good about ourselves and in order to feel really like we're making our best contribution to the world around us, to our families, to our kids, I think the only way to do that really is to embrace our own deep inner genius. In The Big Leap, uh, my book about genius, I talk about how each of us has an innate genius inside us. For one person, it might be writing music. For another person, it might be making a soup. It doesn't matter. I say that creativity is anything that has the capacity to surprise you. And it takes you out of your known version of yourself. And it takes you out of your routine. So I think that uh, creativity, that which can surprise us, is really the key to feeling satisfied in life. If we can keep that spark of creativity nurtured and if we can keep expressing our own creative potential, we have the opportunity then to inspire other people to do the same thing. And so gradually what I'm seeing around the world is a creative awakening where people are owning their own deep creativity and allowing themselves to make contributions that they never even knew they were capable of. And do you think, is that universal or does it cross cultural barriers? It's absolutely universal. Uh It's born into human beings. Uh Right, yeah, yeah. Now that's fascinating. I was interested, the the study that you had on your blog post about the three levels of relationship um, status, you know, with couples who've been together for a long time and there was a distressingly small number who had a really alive and continuing active loving relationship, wasn't there? It's it's very hard to maintain over a lifetime. Well, it certainly is. And it's difficult because a lot of the times the things we learn growing up are absolutely backwards from what you need to know in order to have a successful relationship. Like when I was growing up, you know, it was in a time where Big boys didn't cry. You weren't supposed to admit that you were scared or angry or sad. You know, you're supposed to keep your feelings hidden inside. Well, when I got into relationships in my teens and 20s, suddenly girls would ask me, what are you feeling or how are you feeling? And I didn't have any way to answer them. You know, it was like I I didn't know how to speak that language. So I think that all of us have a lot of looking and seeing to do on the inside of ourselves to find out what needs to be opened up to in ourselves and acknowledged and and loved in ourselves so that we can really be present in our close relationships because ultimately life becomes at its best in our relationships with others and our relationship with ourselves and our relationships with the cosmos. Yes, I mean, circling back a little bit to 10, that is one of the things that I think is so interesting about the books that although you've got lots of other interesting action going on, his monitoring of his own internal state is 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 very interesting, and it you don't see that in a lot of books. It's it's, it's great. Um, I wonder, just reverting back to the, to thinking about your writing career, 
Is there one thing more than any other that you've done that you think is the secret of your success? Well, I remember making a decision right around the time I met my wife, Katie Kathleen Hendricks. She goes by the name of Katie around the house. Um, she and I have been together almost 40 years now. And when I first met her, I had just made a decision that I wanted to learn how to write from my heart. I've always been a writer. I was one of those kids that was always writing stories when I was five years old and <laughs> directing plays in the neighborhood and that kind of thing. So I always had a kind of a screenwriter background to me, even as a kid. And uh, I, um, but as a grown up, I really, um, it took me a long time to learn what was really going on in relationships. Like right now, for example, if you look around the world, the divorce rate for first marriages is around 50%. But if you look at second marriages, the divorce rate is even higher. And if you look at third marriages, the divorce rate is even higher. I think it's 63%. So what's going on here? Our learning curve is going in the wrong direction. And so it's an urgent thing for human beings to learn how to be together in the realm of relationship. And so I started uh, back in 1980, I decided to write my first book from my heart based on my own experience and what I'd found to be true. You see, I was originally trained as a research psychologist. I was, you know, the, the whole idea of trusting your own inner experience just wasn't something we talked about. You know, we were, um, you were supposed to do experiments on 50 people and then give them all a test and, you know, all that kind of research. And I found after a while that, you know, that's good for academic kind of learning and that kind of thing. But for real life down in the trenches, working with other human beings, I needed a different kind of learning. And so I decided to start writing my books from my heart um, and making sure it resonated with my own inner experience. And I had so much success right away doing that with my book, Learning to Love Yourself, became a, a bestseller and basically stayed as continue to be a bestseller to this day, 40 years later. Um, actually, I think it sells better now than it even did when it first came out in the um, early 1980s, which is always a good thing for an author <laughs> author to have a couple of those in the background. I'm sure you 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 probably have a few of those yourself. Um, by the way, I, may I just pause here for a second? It just dawned on me, I've been trying to identify your accent, and uh, are you a New Zealander by any chance? Absolutely, yes. I'm talking to you from Auckland, New Zealand. Okay. That's right. Well, wonderful. I, I was in the back of my mind, I was saying, where have I heard that exact accent? And uh, it's been probably 30 years since I've been in New Zealand, but uh, had, a, had, a, had a kind of an interesting time there because I had a wonderful time in certain respects, um, fell in love with the New Zealand people and the, the territory, you know, the wonderful, you know, especially the South Island and Milford Sound and places like yeah. that. Uh, but I also got yes. caught caught the flu in Rotorua. So don't ever have the flu in a town that smells like sulfur. Uh, <laughs> it, hearing you talking about your nonfiction books, it, it makes me realize that there really is a very strong continu continu continuing line between your nonfiction and your fiction that you probably made that transition in with ease because you are you have been listening to your heart all the way along. Well, I, I've been doing my best to try to do that, and I really, um, you know, that that's a daily challenge for all of us. It becomes a lot simpler though when you realize 
that human beings aren't that complicated on an emotional level. There are things we feel sad about. There are things we feel angry about. There are things we feel scared about. There are things we feel excited about and happy about. And it's a lot of us, though, are cut off from our feelings so that we don't know how to talk about the simplest things in real simple ways. There's a great line from a James Joyce novel where he says, Mr. Doofy lived a short distance from his body. And the idea that we separate our consciousness from ourselves so that we're not readily in touch with what our feelings are inside and what's actually going on. And if you do that for a while, you become kind of an empty shell of a person. Fortunately, life has a way of kind of putting that up in our faces and make sure we learn something about our emotions so that we can keep our relationships uh, going in a harmonious way. Sure, sure. Look, this podcast is called The Joys of Binge Reading, and it is focused on series books that people might like to binge read. So turning to Gay as a reader, you've mentioned actually that as a kid you probably did binge read Sherlock Holmes, but in more recent times, have there been authors that you enjoy binge reading? Yes. As a matter of fact, just as we're speaking here, I'm going to punch up and read you off a bunch of titles of recent books I've been reading um, uh, from my um, from my little Kindle library here. So as soon as I could get that open, I'll be happy to tell you. Okay. Um, I've been reading a Jonathan Kellerman mystery called Heartbreak Hotel. I've been reading uh, a translation of Epictetus's Enchiridion called The Art of Living, and it's a wonderful translation by a woman named Sharon LaBelle. I'm a worshiper of Epictetus and other philosophers of the Roman era and the Greek era, and so um, this is a great new translation. I'm looking also, uh, I just finished a, um, a Michael Connolly mystery called The Late Show, um, I just finished, or I'm sorry, I just started a nonfiction book called Horse Soldiers, um, a book about a, an operation in Afghanistan during this um, the most recent war there. I'm looking also, I just finished Robert Cray's uh, latest book, the one with him and Joe Pike in it. Um, I'm also working on a, um, a, a new translation I found of... Um, War and Peace and Anna Karenina. Uh, so those are a few that just I'm reading off the top. Oh, I'm a big fan of T. Jefferson Parker's mysteries too. I've read every single one of his. I'm not familiar with him, so to, with his book. So I must have T. Jefferson at that. Parker. He's a great Southern California novelist, and I probably have read a good eight or ten of his books. Really great. If you like Robert Cray, you'll love Jefferson Parker. I love Robert Cray, I, I, and I think, interestingly, his background as a screenwriter has probably helped him as well. He, he he did work in the movies for quite some time, didn't he, before, well, at the same time as he was writing his, his novels. Yeah, so you share that in common. I've, I've written a few screenplays. I've, I've only had one um, feature produced, but I've found screenplay writing much harder than novel writing. I, I don't know if you've had that experience or other authors have talked that, but... Um, you know, you got to condense with a screenplay. You've basically got a hundred pages that you've got to compress the story into, and 
that's um, it's it reminds me more of diamond cutting rather than uh, I like to think of writing a novel as as painting a very large canvas so you have lots of different places you can go with it so I think of it as like painting a mural whereas writing a screenplay is like diamond cutting yeah yeah look we're running out of our time I know that you've got other things you need to be doing so circling back from the beginning to the end, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, what would you change, if anything? And I guess we are talking about your fiction writing career, um, but you're welcome to expand it beyond that if you've got things that you really feel strong mm. you, you'd like to I say. feel so blessed that my mystery writing career has gone the way it went. Um, it's it's just been a amazingly more rewarding than I could have ever imagined. So um, I, I would do it all again in a heartbeat. I can't think of anything I'd do. A, maybe I'd do one thing instead of, uh, um, I'm not going to put a knock here on uh, CBS, but they originally bought the books to turn into a series, but then it just took so long and nothing ever got done. And so I finally got the option back and sold it to Netflix. So I, I wouldn't have wasted my six months maybe on CBS. I would have gone directly to Netflix first. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned tantalizingly at the beginning this this fop that you are developing. What is next for Gay as well? Well, I just finished and sent over to the editor my sequel to The Big Leap. It's um, The Big Leap came out around 2009, and it's been a steady bestseller ever since then. It's widely used in the coaching community. It's kind of used as a, a Bible of how to coach and work with people um, it's it's my book that talks about how to open up to your own innate genius. Well, I've written the sequel to that, kind of the next step beyond the big leap. And I'm sworn to secrecy as far as the title goes for another month or two until we have the official press release come out. But that book will be out in September. So that's kind of the big thing that I've just been working on now. And I haven't um, I haven't got a mystery right now that I'm cooking on, but I'm sure one of these days another mystery will pop into my mind. Sure, sure. Now, where can readers find you online, Gay? I know that you're very active online, but where would be the best place for people to seek you out? Yes, well, if you're looking for just general information about my institute and Katie and our relationship work and that kind of thing, Hendrix.com is the best place to go, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. We also, uh, if you're interested in our relationship work, we have a separate website called heartsinharmony.com, Hearts in Harmony, and that's where we offer our relationship courses and our e-courses and that kind of thing. And we're, right now, my wife is in Europe. Um, we do a lot of teaching all over the world. She does more of the teaching for our institute. She um, she still loves to travel a lot. I'm I'm kind of a homebody. After 1.2 million frequent flyer miles, I'm trying to spend more time here with my cats and my garden and um, in my home office. But my wife still loves to travel a lot, so she's been over in Spain and Germany in the last week or so. So we we do a lot of training around the world with uh, different professional groups, usually therapists and counselors and coaches that are interested to learn our techniques. So uh, we spend a lot of time doing that. Oh, that sounds great. So, and in the ten, the Tenzing books, uh, is there a place that's the best to go to for those? Well, I think the best thing to do would be just to pick a place where you um, 
you know, get books online, Barnes and Noble or Amazon, uh, like on Amazon, there's a Gay Hendricks page that has all of my books, ones going back even 30 to 40 years that, uh, that uh, you can read about. So uh, that'd probably be a comprehensive way to, you know, look at my whole body of work. Sure, sure. Look, it's been wonderful talking today. It really has. And um, I'll be very interested to see that 10 on Netflix as, as soon as he makes the screens. All right. And next time I'm in your neighborhood, we can uh, crack a Foster's Lager or a Castlemaine 4X together. That sounds wonderful. Yes, you must come back. <laughs> <laughs> it looks very different now from 30 years ago, I'm afraid. It may not be improved, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lot less provincial probably, a lot less rural than it was. But uh, yeah, it's it's still a good place to be. Well, good. Thanks a lot. Nice talking with you, Jenny. Thank you, Gay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.